0: <laughs> Hello, Ryan. How are you going?
1: Hey, Julian, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Uh,
0: I am good. Struggling. Struggling. Actually, yeah, I should say I'm good, but I'm struggling. I can't believe that we are doing the intro now for um, someone that we interviewed at the very beginning of lockdown, like yeah. five or so six or so weeks
1: ago. Yes, Shuan, love it. Uh, we're talking to, we're sharing with you today and we talked to her at the start of lockdown uh, we had an in-person interview scheduled with her and then um, Canberra's lockdown was called and she reached out and said, we're still doing it. Let's do it over Zoom. And so you and I did our first Zoom interview and it went pretty well. I think so.
0: I think there was no yes. there was no massive time delays or technical <laughs> issues, but I think that's because Xuan is an absolute pro at this stuff.
1: Yes, it doesn't hurt that Shuan's research has been focused on science communication. And she actually has a PhD from ANU in public policy with a major in sociology. She's the establisher of the not-for-profit Australian River Restoration Centre and is also the current director of it. And it's just a powerhouse, Julie. After talking to her, I was blown away at, um, yeah, just the character of her and what she's achieved.
0: Yeah, same. And the thing, I mean, there were so many good points in this conversation. One thing that was pretty funny in a very Canberra moment, good thing we're doing Canberra podcast, turns out she's the next-door neighbour of a really good friend of mine. Yes. <laughs> which made me place her straight away. I went, I know your front garden. I know exactly who you are, which <laughs> was quite quite amusing. And what was even, well, not, this wasn't amusing, but I felt, I felt quite sad um, and a little bit embarrassed that I'd never heard of her before. You suggested we get her on the podcast, despite the fact she's the next door neighbour of my friend, because she's spent the last twenty years or so working out ways to engage and motivate people to care for their environment. Like yes. just you know, her whole background in and expertise in this communications and knowledge exchange and facilitation, and she's just so clearly passionate about getting people engaged and on board and has such a great manner of, about going away how she goes about doing it it's, just, it's awesome awesome local environment heroes saving the trees and the bees and doing it daily okay so shuan can you describe the defining moment in your life where you looked at the world and thought something needs to change now
2: I think that I have always looked around the world and thought something needs to change in a way. Um, I didn't intend working in river management. I was actually going to be a social worker. So I've always had a really strong interest in people uh, and in caring for people and the communities in which we live. So I think for me, the defining moment really was... um, just lots and lots of different moments because other people in a way have defined the way my life's gone because they've offered me opportunities. So I, I guess one of the strengths I've had is is being open to opportunities. And so, you know, as I said, I, I thought I was going to be a social worker. Um, I worked in disability services for a while, you know, my grip my degrees in sociology, um, then I worked uh, in environmental water, uh, and then Murray Darling Based Authority, and then finally managing a a program of research um, looking at riparian zones. I didn't even know what the word riparian meant, I had to look it up. Um, But that then sort of led to me setting up the River Restoration Centre when uh, that riparian program was was abolished. So yeah, I I guess that would be my, my, my key thing is that other people have presented me with defining moments by giving me opportunities.
1: That's wonderful. Um, So you mentioned the Australian River Restoration Centre of which you are the director and um, Julie's pulled a quote here for me, we believe rivers and people need each other to thrive. Why is this? Can you please talk to us about the link and what is the symbiotic relationship between humans and rivers?
2: Well, I, I guess in Australia, we know how important water is. But the thing about rivers is that they actually physically do something to you. Like when you're walking alongside a river, when you have your toes in a river, your body responds because so much of our body is made up of water. And so we know that your heart rate goes down. You're able to think more creatively because everything slows down in your body and you actually become more attuned to nature. And there's been... multiple books written um on how nature can heal and connect and make us feel a lot more um well we're a lot able a lot better able to relate to each other ourselves and our community when we're actually out in nature so in terms of the thriving part it's not only about well-being it's also incredibly important for our economy got big systems like the Murray-Darling where we need water for um, agriculture, but we also just need water to survive day to day. Um, And I think that the key part of that belief is that word thrive. So it's much more than the economics. It's much more than just the social. It's much more than just the environmental. It's all those things coming together that we need to thrive. You can't just have one bit. We actually need all of them.
0: Can we go back to, um, in your introduction, you said you didn't know what the word riparian meant before you got into it. I don't know what the word riparian means. So could you describe it for us? Because that's yes. what you do. You conduct on-ground riparian rehabilitation. I don't even know if I'm <laughs> saying the word correctly. Tell us You what are. You so
2: know. it's, yeah, so the riparian zone is, um, if you think of a river or a creek or a stream, the riparian zone is this really magical stretch of um, riverbank. And it can be a riparian zone can be a floodplain. It's wherever the water will inundate. So you think about it as where land and water meets. So for most of Canberra, when you walk around Canberra, we will see riparian zones around the constructed wetlands that we've um, made. The Sullivan's Creek, where it's just concrete, that's not a riparian zone <laughs> because we've actually concreted it and, and got rid of it. So it, it I, I call it magical because it's an absolute hotspot for biodiversity. And so we actually know that if um, we really want to get the best bang for our buck, we work along rivers and around creeks and around streams and wetlands because it enables safe haven for a whole range of wildlife. Um, Vegetation along the riverbank cools the water so that we actually don't get temperatures really, really high and our native fish really conk out at about 21 degrees plus. Um, Whereas, you know, fish like carp are just amazing. Like they can go into much hotter temperatures and they can live in mud. So they're they're the ultimate really survivor. Um, And so it it does a whole host of, of ecological functions. Um, but it's also just this really special part of our landscape where, as I said before, you know, you can be affected by the vegetation and the closeness to water. Everything's more moist, it's quieter, it um, has buffering effects from wind. It's just a really um, important part of our landscape and so much of it has been cleared through agricultural urban development. So we end up with these tiny little bands of green um, and, you know, so many of our streams, we look around and we get algal blooms, that, that's really a, as a result of the water getting really hot because we don't have any vegetation going over it.
0: So how necessary is this in Australia? Like we all know that Murray-Darling, like people talk a lot about the Murray-Darling needing work, but is, it, is this something that needs to take place along the majority of Australia's rivers and why is that?
2: Yeah, look, um, when you actually get a picture of Australia and you ask, for, or a map of Australia, and you ask for rivers and streams and creeks, we are covered in a network. It just looks like a human body. So it's like capillaries everywhere. The fact that some of those are ephemeral, and and I've just come back from a fantastic trip up to Diamantina Creek out in Queensland, Northern Queensland, and the rivers up there are dry for a lot of the time, but then you get this pulse of water and they just leap to life. Um, And when you look at them from air, you can just see these wonderful networks of, um, they're literally like arteries and capillaries, as I said, and they are the lifeblood of our landscape. So we need to be caring for them. Um, And when you look around Canberra, um, you can actually see a lot of work that's being done when you see areas of replanting, that's often along a riparian zone, even if it looks like a, a little creek or you don't think it looks very spectacular, doesn't matter, it's got more moist soils, it will have a lot more growth. If you think about, you know, out where the prison is, we, when we fly in, in our airplanes, we actually see a little stream coming in. That's actually um, really significant grasslands, so Jerobomba grasslands, where we have grasses that you can't find anywhere else. So riparian zones don't have to have trees, they can just be grassed areas or swampy meadows. And throughout all of them, any riparian area will have higher biodiversity it will um, create its own microclimates anywhere in Australia. So they're just really important parts of our landscape to look after.
1: Um, The River Restoration Centre has three values, optimism, empathy, and connection. Why have these values? Because they're rather unique. Please tell us about them.
2: Yeah, look, I'm I'm influenced a lot by um, my sociological roots, I think, Uh, and also, I don't see people as the problem, I see people as the solution. So you would have heard a lot of the blame game that goes on in the murray darling Basin or up on the reef um, or wherever there is, wherever there's contention. And I, I really do try and talk with our team about, you know, when when people blame, they are discharging pain. This is something Brene Brown talks a lot about. So we know that people are seeking an outlet to somehow get rid of the pain that they're feeling. So you blame somebody. Um, when it comes to our rivers, that's really not terribly helpful. In fact, it's it's downright unhelpful. So um, at the River Restoration Centre, we do have a belief when we look at our values, we are optimistic. It's not um, an optimism that is blinded. It, it's a it's, you know, what, um, who was it that called, oh, a lady called Fiona Kerr was talking about leadership and she was saying it, it's pragmatic optimism. So pragmatism is one where you, you go in eyes wide open, but fundamentally we do believe that people, most people want to do the, the right thing. And if given an opportunity and not made to feel that they're somehow to blame, we'll actually get involved. So that's where the optimism comes from. So we're still optimistic about our rivers and about the people that care for them. Empathy, I think, is, is critical because a lot of the debate I see in the river sphere, we tend to rely on a, a lot on logic and logic is pretty narrowly defined. It's, it's, it's you know, well, this is the technical uh, requirement for this river. We have to have a flow at a certain amount of quantity and this duration and this will make the birds um, breed, for instance. The, the thing about that is that that's just all the facts. What you actually need to be able to add into that conversation is, and the flow will actually enable the birds to thrive and to fledge. And it's wonderful to see a bird flying. And we haven't been able to have these birds in your backyard for a long time because there hasn't been enough water. And we understand that, you know, there's some concern over the water being used here, but we can promise you that, you know, you're actually going to feel amazing when you see the birds, whatever it might be. But empathy has to be the capacity to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to believe everything that they believe. But you need to be able to consider their perspective. Um, And so that's why we have empathy. And then the last one is connection. And that really relates to connecting, genuine connection to nature and to each other. And um, to really, for us, it's about connecting anyone who cares about rivers rivers, streams, wetlands, billabongs, um, we're here to try and connect and facilitate those connections.
1: Yeah, I really love the focus on people and communicating because obviously restoration is needed and conservation is needed, but communication is so important and we don't often focus on it enough. And um, I've seen a talk that you gave it, yes, a couple of years ago where you blew a few people away by talking about how important Uh, the language we used was when talking to farmers about climate change and that sometimes you only get one shot. Um, Can you talk a little bit to that?
2: Sure. Um, Yeah, I remember that talk. When I'm preparing a talk, I think about it a lot. Um, And it just struck me that in most of the meetings I was going into, the words we were using were, we're struggling, we're grappling, we're battling. And I thought, oh, I don't think I'd want to get involved in that. You know, that just sounds like really hard work. Um, And so I was trying to say, look, let's present this as, um, you know, climate change is not going anywhere. It's not a destination. Um, We're not going to arrive. So, And and we've been um, managing climate change ever since we arrived here, really. Um, So it's really about accepting that we're going to have a highly variable climate. It's, it's not something we actually want, this extent of variability, but we're going to have to look at ways that we can adapt. And so we know that for humans to feel hope, which is what we have to retain, they have to be able to act. So once, once you take away any power from someone to actually be able to do anything, if you go out on someone's property and say, oh, this is a crappy little stream, don't bother, well, you've lost, you know, like that's just... That's just not not how you go about actually getting people involved. So, um, yeah, that talk was very much about saying, look, farmers have been managing climate variability for a really long time. It's actually about harnessing the strengths that we already have and building on what we already do well and going, Okay, we have to go in eyes wide open. We have to use the science that we've got available, but we also have to draw on that human creativity and spirit that's got us to this point. so, yeah, it, it was really trying to change the language because I think what we do is we scare people and once we scare people, then they will switch off or they'll just look at their phones and they'll scroll, scroll their Facebook feed for the latest, you know, whatever's out there um, so they don't actually have to connect and, and that's the last thing we want to happen um, because I think it's only when you really connect with nature that you go, okay, I actually care about this um so yeah that was what that talk was all about really yeah
0: so that idea of connection um I find fascinating and that comment you just uh, comment you made then that climate change is not a destination like we're not going that's um there's a very powerful way of That's a very powerful set of words you've just put together there that really makes you stop and think for a second um but then this idea of connection like how I mean when I was researching you last night I was telling Ryan this morning that I, um, you made me go to um, one of my books, The Wind in the Willows, <laughs> like a, very, a very great children's book yeah. um, that I love. And I went back through it because I'm going. there's something in this that Shuan has made me really reflect on The Wind in the Willows. And this, um, I'm going to read you this quote, which I do a lot. I find quotes that I think are really apt to people. Um, and Toad said, there is nothing... Absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as simply messing about in boats, in or out of them, it doesn't matter, nothing really seems to matter, that's the charm of it. There was another quote, the mole was bewitched, entranced, fascinated by the side of the river, he trotted as one trots when very small, by the side of a man who holds one spellbound by exciting stories, and when tired at last he sat on the bank, While the river still chattered onto him, a babbling procession of the best stories in the world sent from the heart of the earth to be told at last to the insatiable sea. And I totally thought of you like I just went, oh, my
2: goodness. That's wonderful. I love the wind in the willows as well. And and there's that lovely one about, you know, there's nothing, as you said, messing about in boats, which I, I do a lot of. You know, I'm not a terribly proficient kayaker. Um, but I just love sitting on the water. Uh, I get scared with the rapids, but I have a friend who has a canoe and I sit in the middle and he takes me down them. Um, But, yeah, there there is nothing, nothing as good as messing about in boats. Because
0: this is, so, I found this quote of yours, I believe that if we had more meetings in boats and kayaks, (laughs) floating downstream and appreciating each other's views, we would do even better at sharing and managing our wonderful, life-giving rivers. I come from a big family of kayakers so my family is always out on the river. I'm totally scared of rapids, so I was useless. I was the black sheep of the family. <laughs> um, the power of rivers. like How did this come about for you? Tell us about the power of the river for you and your
2: love for the river. Um, well, I didn't, it, it's crept up on me. Um, you know, I never expected that i will be running a river restoration centre, ever. That was never on my life. <laughs> you know, tick. This is what I need to do. Yeah. Um, so when I was offered the opportunity to manage a program of research into riparian zones, which we all know what they are now, um, I took that job and I was in a situation where I was managing six men um, who were about 10 years older than me. They're probably they're all still 10 years older than me, actually. Um, and I was fortunate to have my doctorate because they assumed that my doctorate was in environmental science and I did not dissuade them. I did not tell them what my doctorate was in um, because I knew that being a younger female, um, I was already up against it. And uh, certainly if they thought it was sociology, um, I'm, I'm currently running a campaign because we constantly say in the environment sector, warm and fuzzy. And that just drives me mental now, which are the soft skills. And so, um, at that stage, you know, we're talking 25 years ago, I didn't say anything. But what I did do was I kept asking them why their research was relevant, which they hated at first. But, um, you know, I'd have my physico-chemical guy saying, oh, it's got rata-rata pH in it, and it does this, and it does that. And I said, look, that's interesting, but why, why should I care? And why does a landholder care? Because the program was very much applied. It was very much at we are doing research that will enable people who have rivers running through their properties to look after them better. And so that question why um, ended up with me doing uh, a whole lot of visits around Australia to, to rivers everywhere. And I have to admit that, you know, I really am not, I never thought of myself as being terribly adventurous. And I don't like snakes. And so I don't like walking through riparian areas a lot because they are hotspots for biodiversity. So, you know, they've got lots of bugs and all those sorts of things. Um, but I was pretty fortunate that when Finn, my son Finian went to school at North Ainsley, we met um, another family. And Greta and Chris are keen kayakers. And they introduced me to camping. I had never camped before. We now have a slap bang new T-van, which is epic. Um, so it all seemed to coalesce and so for Finn's childhood we, we've gone camping nearly you know big trips every um, July um, we go out um, often into the outback into really remote places so Diamondina Creek was where we went recently where there's just no one there when we knew, you know like five hours from Windora um, that sort of thing and this is where I have just gone wow and um in the reading I've done, you know, I was talking to my husband Tom in our last big trip where you just go for hours without seeing anybody, it's that sense of awe and wonder. And you can, you get that every time you go into nature. So this morning I got up and I walked up to the reserve because I was feeling a bit crap about being in lockdown. And I just thought, God, this is on my doorstep. Like wow, how blue is that sky? And you know, I'm not trying to sound all you know mystical. But um, it was like, blimey, you know, incredible. And rivers do that for me now because they're just, they're incredible places um, and they really do affect you physically and spiritually when you, when you spend time in them. So, yeah, I never thought I'd end up there. The first time I went camping, I had a, I had a headache. I was so scared. <laughs> but then my fans introduced me to, to you don't have to use a thermoresk you can have a quilt, you can have a really <laughs> thick mattress and look, it's just gone on from there.
0: <laughs> so how do you how do you connect? How do you get others who have lost or maybe never had that same feeling or that same connection? Like how do we how do we get that for everybody? How do we bring that into reality?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's it's something that if we force it it's not going to to work. I mean, we we all have a whole range of different beliefs. And if it's a belief, you can argue black and blue, it's not gonna change because it's it's a belief. So I think that for people that we're trying to reach, it's sharing our own stories and how they affect us emotionally. And if they're able to connect with that emotion, and it may be that they get that emotion from going to a shopping mall, that's okay. Um, but it's the emotion you have to return to and so I think for me I just let I let people know that to start with I didn't want to go camping I was quite scared, but now it's my lifeblood I have to go I, I really feel that if I don't get out there then I start to go pretty loopy um and I know for my son he now says, mum I need to we need to go you know like so he joined us on our last trip he flew to mount Isa and and had the the ten days with us in the top end uh, oh just magic. And then he flew back from Longreach. Now I I was pretty amazed at an 18 year old wanting to come with his daggy parents, but um, you know, it was an all expenses paid trip. So (laughs) maybe that was a good reason. Um, But yeah, I I think if we proselytize, um, it's like any belief system, you just turn people off. Uh, You kind of just need to create opportunities for people to experience it. And I think what we often try to do, you know, in a lot of the groups that I talk to, they keep saying, oh, we need more volunteers. We need more volunteers. And my, my response to them is, are you looking after the ones you've got? So look to the people that believe what you believe. Invest in what's working. Invest in that strength. And that ripples out. That's my, my firm belief. You know, often in communication, I get asked by, you know, one of the Commonwealth agencies, oh, we have to reach the whole of Australia. And I'm just saying, well, I'm not your person because I'm not taking that on you know like there's just no way I'm taking on Bondi Beach people um it's really I say I will play to my strengths I will talk to my networks I will give them information that they can share and then they'll talk to their networks and then they'll talk to their networks and then that's how it grows um there's no one size fits all it's really a whole series of conversations
0: which is really like, like throwing a pebble into a river totally. and the ripple effect. Totally.
2: Then, yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> um,
1: well, on that, Shuan, um, Julie's pulled another beautiful quote for me, which is pretty much what you're talking about, that people don't care if they don't know. And so you've emphasised the importance of digital storytelling, um, which has led you to set up Finterest, not Pinterest, but Fintrest, a, a website that's a home for stories for Australian native fish. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the importance of this knowledge exchange and what you're doing to facilitate it?
2: Sure. So, so one of the things the River Restoration Centre does is to manage websites for other people. And so Finterest came around, um, and it's not lost on me that my son's name is Finn, I must say, <laughs> but he's got a double N on his. So Finterest came about because we have this really fantastic strategy called the Native Fish um, Strategy. That was run by the Murray-Darling Basin Commission at the time and it, it was just a, a fantastic um, strategy. It was meant to go for 10 years, um, unfortunately the funding got pulled and so Fintress came about um, to try and make sure we didn't lose all that knowledge um, and it's actually a similar story for the Australian River Restoration Centre that I set the centre up when Land and Water Australia got abolished and I didn't want to lose all that material because You know, there's always these promises that we'll have a legacy website. Well, they get broken, the links break, people can't find stuff, there's no one that cares about them. So um, Fintrust has all the native fish strategy stuff from that first 10 years on there. And then we also try and share other stories as they emerge. It, It is unashamedly focusing on the science because there's lots of, you know, fishing channels out there about, you know, who caught the biggest fish. That's not really what we're about here. Um, and I think the fishing sector as a whole, you know, was facilitating a meeting last year on small bodied fish. And these are the fish that are tiny, like they, you know, can be under 10 centimetres. And we have a lot of them in Australia that are really endangered. Um, and in this region, we have one called the Southern pygmy Perch, which is a very cute little fish, which we're just trying to keep hanging on so that the carp can't get to it in some areas. Anyway, I was at this forum and I'm often asked to facilitate. Um, which is not lost on me, but being a woman, we often get asked to facilitate, but not make the decisions. Um, and so I was looking out at this room of men and they're all great guys. I know them all really, really well. And we had a couple of women and they were saying, oh, we've got to get more volunteers and we've got to get this and we've got to get that. And I just thought, Ugh. I said, look, I'm just going to take my facilitator hat off for a moment. Look around this room, look at the demographic. Um, much as I think you're all great, There are very few women here and you actually need to have women. So maybe you actually need to be thinking about communicating not the biggest fish that you can catch, but the fish that we're trying to protect and save. And the other woman that was there was a lady called Chris Lemon who is actually breeding um, these small little fish. And I said, you know, if you start telling stories about how special these fish are, how we're creating dams with landholders just for these fish to live in. You're going to attract a lot more people than, than just you know, the, the normal fishing stuff that they go on about. And I think that's what we're trying to do with Fintrus. We're trying to, we share a lot of different sort of stories about um, the latest science. You know, We've found things out like Murray Cod and Monogamous. So they actually pair up for life. Um, all sorts of cool things and we, we have these things called um, pit tags, which are passive integrated transponders and they're like these little tags that you put into a fish and we can track them as they zoom up and down our rivers and, and as we're taking out more and more fish barriers, these fish are going further and further. It's extraordinary. So golden perch will, will go a long, long way. Murray cod like to just hang around their log. They're not big movers. So so that sort of stuff I find really interesting. Um, And that's really what Fintrust is about, is sharing those stories.
0: I have a random question that we haven't scripted and I haven't run past Ryan that I'm going to throw out there. Um, You've mentioned women a few times now. And, you know, when you started off and it was a room full of men and rivers, I guess, and any kind of farm management and the whole area of science is traditionally dominated by men what would it be like if we actually really had equal women or we had more women or we had you know the percentage of women in leadership positions and in decision making positions greater than what we have now and perhaps even more than men do you think like that would make a significant difference and how do we go about really making that change it
2: would it would make an enormous difference um and look I have to fess up that, you know, I just spoke at a conference last week on why we need more feminine leadership trays in river management. Um, and it's not that men don't have those trays, it's that they're not encouraged to use them. And so in our team, we embrace the whole range of, of trays. We don't necessarily label them masculine or feminine. But in, in river science and river management, we place this really big emphasis on logic. And our decision makers tend to be those that have more of the authoritative, um, competitive, aggressive type um, modus operandi. And, and we know from work done by lots of people like Margaret Heffernan, who's done like a whole lot of work on this area, that workplaces that have more women in them are more collaborative. Um, they are workplaces in which you're allowed to fail um, so we don't ever talk about the failures and yet we can learn as much, learn much more than, than, um, from that than we can from just focusing on success. Um, women in workplaces uh, like to coordinate and, and what she's found, what Heffernan's found, which is fascinating, she says is that although women have been let into the game, the rules haven't changed. And so you only need to watch misrepresented Represented um, <laughs> to really get your steam coming out your ears. Because, you know, things like, I, I can't remember which senator it was, but was saying that she would put forward an idea and the room would go quiet. And then two guys down put same, the forward the same idea and everyone goes, oh, yeah, great idea. Now, I've done that so many times. And, you know, you joke about it with your female friends. Oh, I'll just, uh, I'll make him think it's his idea and it'll happen. But we shouldn't need to do that anymore. I mean, come on, <laughs> really. Um, so. I think I've noticed a lot of my friends as well who are sort of in my age demographic, you know, late 40s, early 50s, a lot of us have left mainline institutions and we're setting up our own businesses and doing our own thing. And on the one hand, that concerns me because it means they're not right in there where where decisions are being made. But on the other hand, I actually think that you have to be true to yourself and I just cannot work in those combative environments. and everything's so slow. Like the inertia just drives me mad. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the reasons the River Restoration Centre is going well is because we're actually able to work just on the periphery of a lot of those government organisations where I have lots of friends who, are, who work there and I really respect them. But we, we provide them with support because they can say, we cannot get this through our comms team, but I'm just sending it your way because we can do it. Uh, it's a bit like that with the Fintress website, which is supported by the Murray-Darling Basin Commission. Because it's hosted by the River Restoration Centre, there's a whole lot of stuff that we can share without having to go through a gazillion bits of red tape. So, so it's a really good example of how women get around um, institutions and get around the processes. Um, and we shouldn't need to do that anymore. I mean, you know, our institutions are flawed, that we're still having to do that. So um yeah so I'm, I'm mounting a bit of a campaign about that at the moment
0: I feel I feel I could derail the whole conversation here and we could talk about this for a really long time and I could have a therapy session with you very happy to have that conversation
2: another time no you're describing my life
0: at the moment <laughs> exactly. yeah totally understand right <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, well, we've got a very uh, Canberra-centric podcast here, and you've recently featured in a recent book, uh, 10 Journeys on a Fragile Planet, which was written by a Canberra author, Rod Taylor. Um, your chapter is titled A Question of Hope. Um, tell us about, I guess you touched earlier on the optimism and the hope, but I guess we're coming close to our hero questions. Really like to round out on what hope means to you and um, yeah, why it is so important for us in this space.
2: Well, look. I know you've interviewed a, a really good friend and mentor of mine, Mark Howden, and I asked him this question um, when he was on on my podcast too. Because um, Mark is frontline, as far as I'm concerned, in, in terms of what he is gets in his inbox. Um, you know, he's doing disaster and climate change every day. And I said, you know, how can you do this? And he said, because for him. As I you know, as I mentioned earlier, there are so many people doing their very best, and we do still have opportunities. Yes, um, we're going to lose some some beautiful parts of our planet, um, which is really tragic. Um, but I actually think we need to grieve with our community about that, because um, at the moment everything is presented in such a sensational way that people go, "Oh, I'm not going to watch that documentary about the icebergs melting." You know, like a, it's just too hard. I can't go there today. Uh, so we actually need to be making it local so it's felt locally. Um, you know, uh, in the drought, um, I, I noticed I, I, I did a um, the first series episode of my podcast is called Container Love. And it was because I was walking around Ainsley and I could see all these containers being put out in people's gardens or in the park and people were filling it up with water for wildlife. This was in the height of the drought. It was that stinking hot summer. And I thought, I don't know these people, but we're all wanting to do something. We all want to act. And that for me is what hope is about. It's about providing people with confidence to act. And it can be the smallest things You know, I was picking up the litter in the park this morning because I just like to do that. There wasn't even much there, but it meant my dogs could beetle around. And um, I just thought, you know, I'm not a Pollyanna. I don't wake up every morning and go, oh, God, this is beautiful. Nothing like that. Um, But I just look around and go, we are so fortunate in this city. And we are also fortunate that we actually have a population of people who really care and are pretty switched on. Um, So... So that always gives me hope. And, you know, I've got to have hope. I've got a, an 18-year-old son. You know, it's one of the things that drives me for the work I do is I, I want him to be able to enjoy the places I've been able to enjoy. Um, so that's what gives me hope as well, is his passion and, and love for us and, and Canberra.
1: Well, Conversations with a Kappa is another great podcast that our listeners should check out. I've enjoyed it. And if you want more of Shuan, which I'm sure all of you will after hearing this, um, but what well, you we've reckon? actually just
2: changed the name, Ryan. We've just changed oh, God, the name. To it? It, it's a new new name because we decided Conversations with the Kappa was not river-centric enough. So so we're calling it Take Me to the River uh, because of that wonderful song. And, yeah, so Take Me to the River. Have a look for that if anyone's interested. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. We'll put the link up on our site also. Um, I think we're going to do our hero questions. Okay. Sure. All right. So I'll start off with the first one. So congratulations, Shuana. You have just been elected president of the world. Awesome. Yes, I know. Um, (laughs) What's the one change you try to implement first?
2: So I was thinking about this and the first thing I would do is to get everyone to stop what they're doing. They would have to leave their screens, leave their phones, leave their weapons um, behind and they would have to go and sit under a tree and they would have to have their back up against a tree and they would need to sit there for at least 15 minutes with no distractions and just reconnect with something natural and then look around themselves and go, okay, what is it we're here for again? And have conversations about that topic first
1: Love that. Um, Question number two. It's 2030, the year 2030. Describe the world you see around you.
2: Okay, so that's not that long away. Uh, So for me, um, I would like to see much more diversity, diversity in thought and leadership and institutions. Uh, I think that we expect a vast amount from our government institutions and we're really good at telling them what they're doing wrong. Um, I think a lot of them are doing a lot of things right. We're just asking them to do too much. And I feel we need to be devolving some of that responsibility back to ourselves um, and resourcing ourselves to be able to do that. So uh, I would, for instance, provide, um, if it was me in the Murray-Darling Basin, for instance, I would actually be saying, right, here's $10,000 to any community group who's working on rivers and who cares about their rivers to go out and talk about why rivers matter. No strings attached and just see what happens. Because I just think that would be a much more effective way of connecting with people than the structured ways that we currently go about it.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah. It's often the, the simple ideas, although, you know, we sometimes I feel... In fact, often I feel as I look at my day job, and think how did it all get so complicated or so messy when it doesn't really need to be? It, I think...
2: No, I think it's about risk. We've become really risk averse and that's the last thing we need to be right now. With, with the, the climate um, as it is, we actually have to be able to embrace uncertainty and we can only do that, I think, by knowing that you're locking arms with other people who are also a bit scared but who will go there with you. That's that's what I try and do anyway Um, because it does scare me. Of course it scares me. Um, But I, like Mark, I lock my arms with someone like Mark and go, okay, well, let's see what we can do.
0: And do it together, much more Mm. powerful together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Mark, you've mentioned Mark a few times and so Mm. we're going to assume that Mark's one of your environmental heroes. (laughs) Who else? Who who, Who are some other environmental heroes for you?
2: Honestly, I think anybody that cares and, and goes out to do something like, I, I think my main environmental heroes would be the landholders we work with. Um, you know, we, we will provide them with money for a fence. They have to put it up. We'll provide them with trees. They have to plant them. Um, they need to keep looking after them. Uh, so for me, you know, it, it's people like my husband, Tom, you know, no, no background in the environment sector, but he's now an adventure volunteer who can go out and um, deal with willows Uh you know, and he had all this training and off he went. I mean, fantastic. So people that go out to properties and dig up weeds, they're all environmental heroes. I think, you know, we often, you know, peg on wonderful people like David Attenborough and Greta and all those people, but we're all environmental heroes. Anyone that cares about the environment is a hero because we get drowned out so often um, in the current fascination for reality TV and those sorts of things. So, um yeah I think we're all environmental heroes anyone listening to this is an environmental hero because they've actually clicked on something the environment center is doing all kudos to you (laughs) (laughs) we've um we've
0: mentioned a few times throughout various podcasts that heroes you know very anxious or um not wanting to put people off by calling the podcast heroes because as you said like for us it is everyone that is doing anything is considered a hero and that's why putting the local in front of it was so important because it is going out in your local area wherever you are and just giving it a go sitting under a tree you're
2: a hero. Mm, totally I mean I love that I love the title I, it attracted me straight away because heroes your hero can be anyone yeah um, and they there's someone that inspires you um so yeah. you know it could be your mom or it could be your son or whatever but yeah it's anyone who can inspire.
1: Based on that what's your one hot tip for our listeners for being more environmentally friendly or aware?
2: Go outside. <laughs> really? I mean if you are spending all day inside in front of a screen which I often do um I'll get to the end of the day and go oh I just can't be bothered can't bother going outside I'll just stay at home watch some telly. Um, and I know all of us are in lockdown right now but just walking across to the park this morning, um, just looking at the daffodil or touching a plant. Um, Honestly, it sounds cheesy, but it makes a difference. So just go outside, look at the big blue sky. The big blue sky is a wonderful thing to look up to because you'll just find all these other stuff just, just sort of dissolve. You go, God, why am I getting so uptight about that? Like, seriously? Um, so that would be my big tip for being environmentally friendly: is actually spend time outside.
0: Yeah, totally. I yeah, I feel um, a lot of a lot of my work colleagues are in Melbourne, and um, I almost feel guilty now. They going, "Oh, how are you going? We've locked down." I'm like, "Well, like, I just feel so incredibly lucky that out my front door I have access to this incredible nature reserve that I would." I would do anything to preserve. It is so yeah. absolutely incredible and fundamental.
2: Um, uh, Canberrans are really blessed. I mean, oh, all of us, you know, have basically got a reserve we can be on within, you know, 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, often just by foot, let alone getting yeah. in a car. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was looking at that this morning. I was looking at the base Mount and looking out and just going, wow, you, you often can't see many houses because of the trees. So fortunate, really yeah. fortunate.
0: Yeah. Um, so our last, our last hero question, what's your final slogan quote or mantra or key message that you would like to leave our listeners with?
2: It's one, um, that became really pertinent to me because, um, when Land and Water Australia was abolished, the Winston Churchill Trust invested in me to go overseas and and look at river restoration centers. And there really was no one else that was willing to do that. I've tried a whole lot of, philanthropic organisations here in Australia and they all said what I wanted to do with the river restoration was something government should do. And I said, well, they're not. (laughs) So the Churchill Trust invested in me and continues to invest in me. So I'm now on the panel um, for the ACT and love seeing that come across. So the quote, get get to the quote. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And that's really try. that's how I try and live my life. I, I really do feel that the more I give, the more the more is returned. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what we live by. Hmm. Beautiful.
0: That is a perfect ending. I have nothing left to say. <laughs> I mean, it's all like a mic drop and we need to <laughs> just stop there. I am in heroes, saving the trees and the bees and doing it daily.